Well, good morning again, everybody. Glad that you're here today, especially after last week. Last week was a little bit long, and hoping I wasn't scaring anybody off. Promise it won't be as long today or as emotional. Um, but you know, last week I just wanted to share part of our testimony with healing and how we glorified God through all of that as best we could. Um, and I know that most of you were right along with us as we face that storm, and I definitely appreciate all that you guys have done as a church body. Um, can't say that enough. You know, um, we all get to be a part of other people's journeys, and I know many times we all have our own stories when it comes to loss, when it comes to grief, when it comes to healing, when it comes to miracles. Um, sometimes it's hard to talk about those things. But I've found, as you do talk about that, it's part of the healing process as well. You know, when we come to church, a lot of times we think of, as we're growing in church, we're growing cognitively, meaning we're growing in intellectual stuff. We're studying God's word, we're hearing messages and things like that. But another way that we grow is relationally, in terms of being with each other, sharing life with one another and those stories. And as you've noticed through a lot of my messages, I, I push that a lot because many times we rely on Sundays and for that one hour after church when we can get together and talk and, and things like that, and that's our connection. You know, honestly, as a church, to grow, we need more. We need more times where we're meeting with one another um, in smaller groups, however that might be. You know, today we're going to be speaking on the gift of miracles from 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, it's part of our passage that we're going to continue to go through. And, you know, when I looked at the length of last week's message, and I began to start doing some more in-depth study, I thought, hmm, it might just be just as long as last week. Because there's so many miracles within the Bible. When you actually start to sit down and think about it, just roughly skimming through the Bible, there might be a small handful, two that I can think of, of off the top of my head, books of the Bible that don't really talk about miracles happening or describing miracles happening. You know, it's so infused in terms of God working among his creation within the Bible. But, you know, even that, as I say that, that would be overlooking the fact that the books are divinely inspired, a miracle in and of itself. So just looking at content, it's a fun topic to explore. Here's a miracle that I'm going to share by the grace of God. This week, I had district conference, six grad parties, spoke with the widows in my neighborhood, um, other events that I attended. So the fact that I got a message together is a miracle in and of itself. So we should be happy about that one. But you know, as I began to, you know, during my breaks this week, look through the, the Bible, look through the different miracles, you're just left in awe at the might and the majesty of God. You're just left in awe. You know, um, there's so many miraculous things that are around us that it's difficult to separa separate out the ordinary. Albert Einstein said there are only two ways to live your life. One, as though nothing is a miracle, and the other, as though everything is a miracle. Perspectives that I think can help us prepare for this message a little bit. Let's begin with some prayer. Father, as we 
go to your word. I pray that you would continue to teach us, continue to guide us in your ways of truth. Help us to look honestly at your word and what it says. Help us to understand um, your truths above our own hearts and desires and what we want to be true. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so within our section, the verse that we're covering is in verse 10, and it says, to another, the working of miracles. A few interesting points to kind of start off. If you're in 1 Corinthians 12, you can kind of look at this with me. Um, the term working that's there in verse 10 is the same Greek term up in verse 6 as activities or operations. So again, kind of making this connection of how it is all within the Spirit, how it is a working of the Spirit. And the term miracles comes from the Greek term dunamis. And it talks about mighty works and being able. The different types of words that we get from that stem, duna, all have that same type of meaning of being able or having a capacity in virtue of an ability. This is according to the Strong's lexicon. So within this term, we see that there's an implication of power that can be applied to a whole range of things. You know, where it's talking about acts of power, many times in the Bible, you'll see this phrase, signs and wonders, being described. Sometimes it's mighty works. Sometimes it's miracles. You know, mighty, miracles are mighty works of God that alter the natural course of events. You know, within our context of the gifts, probably all of those other things besides healing is what's being talked about. Even though healing is a miracle, it's listed as a separate gift for a reason. And remember, as I said, faith, healing, miracles, they all are interconnected in ways that are difficult to walk through and understand clearly. But again, we want to see those connections. You know, God gave the ability to do miracles to his son to the Christians in the early church in order to signify that he was with them, that he was empowering them to verify his word. You know, and when you look through the Bible, he empowers people all throughout the Bible to show who he is and to display his might and his divine supremacy. You know, as I looked at Webster's Dictionary from the 1800s, he says this about miracle. It is literally a wonder or wonderful thing but appropriately. In theology, it is an event or effect contrary to the established constitution and course of things, or a deviation from the known laws of nature, a supernatural event. Miracles can only be wrought by the almighty power. So again, it's dealing with supernatural power of God going above and beyond the natural. And again, as I say, natural, Everything in nature is still a miracle. When you think of the simple, simple act of creation, how God just speaks everything into existence. Miracle, where you are left in awe and wonder. It's a grand feat that we can't really even fathom. I mean, we can dig a little bit deeper. We can study things like biology and we can see some of the intricacies of creation. But again, we're just scratching the surface in many of these areas, in many of these ways. We can look up to the stars uh, and we can see the great expanse and how, how marvelous the universe is. 
just a side note, uh, there's supposed to be a lunar eclipse tonight at midnight, so if you're up at that time, hopefully the sky is clear and you get to see another awesome thing, awesome wonder of our God. You know, when we think about creation, when we think of all of life, how we are knit together in our mother's womb, how delicate, how much care God has put into each one of us, even though we are fallen, even though our bodies are groaning, we can still see the image of God in each, in each creation. We can look up to the stars and we can see his majesty. We can look at the wonders of this world as broken as it is and we can get a glimpse of his might, of the beauty of God. He is magnificent. He is all-powerful and he is wonderful. You begin to continue to, to go through Genesis and you see how God interacts with people. You see miracle after miracle. Then you go to the book of Exodus. If you can turn to the book of Exodus chapter 4, we'll start there today as our, with our little walkthrough. A lot of the passages I have are just a single verse, so you, don't, you can always write these down, but some of the longer ones I'll, I'll let you know about. But in Exodus chapter 4, we see how God works through Moses. Okay, And in 421, he says this. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. So when you look at that verse, is there consistency for how God is working through Moses to the gift of miracles in 1 Corinthians 12? Is there consistency in how things are done? You know, as he goes back, Pharaoh kind of plays right into this command by, of God. Turn over to chapter 7 in Exodus. Um, and Pharaoh asks for signs. You know, Moses says he's from God. Okay, prove that you're from God. What kind of signs, what kind of power do you have? You say you're his messenger. And in chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 9, I'm going to go through 12. This is God speaking to start off. He says, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Make note of that. I think that's very important. They did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as, he, as the Lord had said. So within this miracle, we want to acknowledge that there were magicians who could do the exact same things that Aaron and Moses could do. You know, we have an understanding. We believe that there are false prophets, that there are false teachers in our midst. We believe that there will be signs and wonders done by the Antichrist and his followers. But do we believe that God will still do miracles today through the church? I mean, there's a lot of similarities to what we talked about last week. You know, as you continue through Exodus, Moses goes on then with the plagues. Um, you see sign after sign for the people of God. They are led by a pillar of cloud and fire. 
they grow to the point where they just expect these big things happening. They grow callous in their hearts. But people throughout the generations were constantly reminded to remember the deeds that the Lord had done for them. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea when I saved you from the Egyptians, when I brought you out of that land, I brought you into the land of milk and honey. Remember our sermon series on what God has done. And Psalm 105 verse 5 says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. They were constantly told to remember what God had done. You know, when you think of the miracles that God has done, you think of who he is, you think of his plan of salvation. How as a church, we get to be beneficiaries of the gospel message and what God has done through Jesus. You know, the early church, if you turn over to the book of Acts, they had many moments like this as well. Um, In the last few weeks, we have talked quite a bit about Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. But people were able to see the power of God on display. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, it says, Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So there God is using Philip to, to do these miracles and these great acts. Before that verse, with Simon, Luke describes more of what Philip was doing, the types of miracles that he was doing, the types of healing, beginning in verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You know, he also uses Stephen in similar ways. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So again, some, some of the early recordings of miracles being done in the early church. Of course, we know Peter and Paul and many others were used in the New Testament in the early church. Jesus, I think, did a few miracles, um, some signs and wonders. You know, as, you, as you look through that, you could probably open up to any page in the Gospels, and there's miracles that Jesus did within that. You just think about the power that God displayed through Jesus. And you know, it, Peter, with his sermon in Acts 2, um, as, you, as I read through some of these things, it's just awesome how the Lord brings this stuff to our minds. But Peter in his sermon, in verse 22, says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. You know, I think it's important for us to understand that verse that God did it through Jesus. Now, there's definitely large miracles like creation, where it's just God acting. But many things of what we see in the Bible is God using people, working through people for these miracles, where he would bring glory to himself, where he would verify his word, where he would protect his mouthpiece. You think of Elijah and facing the 400 prophets of Baal, 
the miracles that were surrounding that. You think of all of those in the early church, things done by God through his people in faith. Comes back to faith. It's one of those tricky little necessities that we struggle with understanding fully. Personally, I think it's the beauty of faith to where we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to have a formula. We just have to believe that all things are possible. Like we talked about last week with Mark 9.23, all things are possible for the ones who believe. Now, does that mean I'm going to go and jump off of a building because I think I can fly? Probably not. But even as I wrote that joke, because it's, you know, it's commonly used, I thought of Philip, who is transported by the Spirit. Disclaimer, do not go out and jump off of a building because you believe you can fly. But the point still holds. Are all things possible through Christ? And it comes back to what we talked about last week in terms of the understanding the will of God. You know, as Philip is transported by the Spirit, and we understand that miracle, it takes me to Zechariah 4, 6 and 7. Then he said to me, this is the word, the Lord, of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of of grace, grace to it. You know, the gifts are given by the Spirit as he wills, as he apportions. It is by the Spirit of God, not by our power, not by our might, not for our selfish gain, not for our own vanity and pride. But you know, when we think about the acts of power and miracles today, we think about them in certain ways. As I said, similar to healing. I think many of us still believe miracles occur, but we, re we really struggle with doubts at times of how they come about. We tend to label things that we can't explain or understand as miracles. And we leave it at that. But how do we understand them when it comes to this gift? Meaning people being used by God to do miraculous things. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, a slightly controversial passage that can always bring up some fun discussions around the dinner table. Beginning in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents in their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay, hands on the, lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So, was this only for the early church or is this for ones who believe? Now, there are many pastors who will do these things to try to prove a point. And some pastors have died. So that obviously must mean it's not for today, right? Well, many have not died too. The wonderful thing in my job is I don't have to convince you that the word is true. I simply have to say this is what the word of God says and then you get to wrestle with it. That's the joy of faith to where when I don't have all the answers, I simply say continue to wrestle. Continue to try to seek understanding and pray that the Lord will give you that wisdom. Now, like I said, we, we are still calling things miraculous today. But we rarely attribute miracles coming from a gift. We just say something is miraculous. Not necessarily that this came about by the gifting of the Spirit in someone's life. So how can we take an honest look at Scripture? couple of thoughts that I have on this that will resemble again my charge from last week and our need to wrestle with the different texts, um, our need to wrestle with the word of God, not just to take my word for things or a theologian's words for things or a commentator's or a neighbor Joe's words for things because he had this experience, but being in the word of God. And as you wrestle through the whole of scripture, God brings that truth to your mind. You know, the first thing that I would say is that signs and wonders have been used throughout history to confirm the word of God. God is consistent. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. His word is still being confirmed today. You know, when you think about how we have multiple religions in this world all having scripture, it just becomes a shouting match of intellectuals or nominal believers talking about their talking points and arguments all saying their way is truth. Because it says so in my Bible. You know, God is consistent, and so are people. Turn over to Acts 14. <clears throat> in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are going out to the Gentile nations, and they are preaching the gospel message. And they go into the synagogues, and they're giving these messages um, here they're in Iconium, and picking up in verse 3 of chapter 14, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, into the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. You see, people will always doubt, even if they see a miracle. We have that cynical nature about us. But what do Peter and Barnabas do? They continue to be ministers of the word of God, even through the doubts 
even through the hatred, even through the persecution. They understand the truth. They then go on in the next chapter, in chapter 15, to the council in Jerusalem, and they're sharing all of what God has been doing with the Gentile nations. And even there in that council, you have Jewish, formerly Jewish people who are now a part of the church who have a hard time believing that salvation is opened to the Gentiles, who have a hard time believing that the Gentiles are speaking in tongues, that the Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles are receiving healing. Why would God do that? Aren't we his people of God? So even people in the early church struggled with understanding all of these signs being brought by. Perhaps they had this same pride issue that is consistent even to today, where God only works for us and our little group. God is so much bigger than we imagine. His plans of salvation is so much grander than we can fathom. I mean, every morning that you wake up, his mercies are new. Collect your gold star, yay, now get to work. There's more that need to hear his good news. But too many times we're on that sideline because we've got our salvation, we're good. But there have always been signs and wonders and hesitation by people to understand what the word of God says. Secondly, you think back to Moses. What is his response at the miracle of God speaking to him through the burning bush. God is speaking to him through a burning bush. Can you even fathom that God is speaking to somebody? I mean, what would it be like if God was speaking today? Moses says, send somebody else. I don't want to do that. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be that callous, would we? If God had spoke to us today, gave us commands of something to do? Hmm. Moses was hesitant. Throughout the whole ordeal, you see times where Moses is going along just fine. He's like, Lord, let me off this ride. I can't deal with these people anymore. I would just want to be done. You know, he, he doesn't doubt God. He doubts his own abilities. He doubts the people that he's going to save. But you see, time and time again, God is working through Moses. And over time, Moses begins to understand. He, be, he begins to expect, God's going to work through me. God's going to do this. God can do anything. This is awesome. And I think he loses sight of that a little bit because he becomes an expectation to the point that it gets himself in trouble. And he strikes the rock instead of speaks to the rock. Remember when we read in Exodus 4, Moses and Aaron obeyed as the Lord had commanded. There was a time that Moses didn't do that, and he failed in that. Now, the, the rock still gushed with water. God's grace was still there, but Moses was punished for that. You think of the, the example of his life. You think of how he expected things to happen. We talked about it in Sunday school, how we in America expect our comforts. And when our first world problems arise, we're annoyed. But over and over, Moses witnessed the power of God. 
Many times as we're going through this life, we're going our own way in faith. We're not obeying what the Word of God says. And God can still redeem that as He gave the, pe- the people still still gave the people water. He can still redeem us even in our failures. But we see this type of hesitation all throughout Scripture. So I say it not as an excuse, but as an awareness. That we can face our times of hesitation, our times of unbelief, and repent. Come back to obedience. There's a statement one time about a Christian who would oftentimes pray for revival. You know, within the church community, it's maybe a little bit still on today, but, you know, 20 years ago, everything was revival, revival, revival. Everybody wants revival. I listened to one preacher on this one time, and he said, you know, you start raising some people from the dead, you're going to get all the revival you want. You know, and you think about that. What type of revival are we saying when we mean we, we need revival? Are we wanting people to be revived back to a certain decade, to a certain year, to a certain time in the church history that was great, that was perfect? I can't point to one of those. The church has always been flawed. The church has always made mistakes. But it has allowed us to, to get deeper into the grace of God, to repent from those errors and those ways and come back to obedience. You know, many times we can take our eyes off the main thing and we can elevate other things above Christ. You know, you think about the miraculous things in your life, the things that you can point to that you say that was a miracle. They're there to bolster your faith for a time, but just for a time. It is consistent throughout the word that we need reminded. We have short memories. We constantly go back to our salvation. We come back to the gospel message because we need to be reminded of how sinful we are and the grace that we have received. Because we think, hey, I'm saved. I got this. This is great. Life's easy. No. We need to continually come back to our knees, to the cross, humbly, understanding what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because life can push us down. Life can distract us from what the Lord has for us to do. You know, I think that this can put, this type of perspective in our faith helps us to grow. You know, I think of the disciples as they come back from going out on their first missions trip and Jesus empowers them to do different things and they come back and they're all excited and they said, even the demons are subjected to us. This is awesome. And Jesus says what? He says, you rejoice at that? Please, I've seen so many greater things than just that. Rejoice instead that your name is written in the book of life. You know, I think sometimes that's how we can get in a rut in our faith when we just leave it there. Our names are written in the book of life. I'm done. I'm good. I'm saved. And we forget about what we are to do in terms of the commands that Jesus gives. We don't think deeply on miracles and healings and faith. Instead, we just focus on that salvation because Jesus says, don't don't rejoice in that. That wasn't Jesus' point. Jesus' point was, don't elevate those things over me. Don't elevate those things over your salvation. 
it's only by the grace of God, the gifting of the Spirit, that you're able to do any of this stuff anyway. With all of the gifts of Spirit, they are graces by God, given by the Spirit to build up the church, to encourage one another, to magnify Him, to confirm His Word. You know, and as with the other ones, with the gift of miracles, it takes you being in tune with the Spirit, with the leading of the Spirit in your life, listening to His promptings. You know, has it ever been a prayer, as you're reading through the Bible, has it ever been a prayer in your life to say, Lord, I would love to have the faith that Peter had when he said to that guy, look, gold and silver I don't have, but what I have, I have in the name of the Lord Jesus. Get up and walk. That'd be so amazing if I can do that, Lord, if you could work through me that way. Has that ever been a desire in your heart to be used by God in such strong ways that you can only point back to him? That it's not in my power, but in his. But just like healing, when we think of miracles, it's scary because our faith is on display. And you're going to see results one way or the other just about immediately. Like I said last week, pray to know the will of God first and then pray for that to manifest. As believers in the Almighty, the one true God, what we don't think we can do, Christ can do through us. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing. But for most of us, we need to be able to believe that first before we can step into the realm of understanding miracles. And as I'm honest, I'm not fully there. In certain areas of my life, absolutely. Because I've experienced those miracles over and over again and I know God's got that area. It's not even a question in my heart and mind. But there are other areas that I'm still growing through, where I'm uncertain, where I might have doubts, where I haven't seen God come through yet, or I haven't seen the good come out of it. But I still know that he is true. That he is faithful. You know, as we separate out all of the other voices and we come back to the word of God, and we look at what the Word of God says. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, to another working of miracles. And then you fully balance that with verse 29, where it says, do all work miracles. Understanding, again, that it is in the gift of the spirits. In our hearts, we need to be at the place where we are consistently saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Where we're always at the ready to serve him in whatever way that he is calling to the people that he puts in our lives. Every person is an opportunity to share God's grace. Are we ready? Let's pray. Father, as we continue to dive deeper into your word, as we continue to challenge traditions, things that we have built up in our own hearts and minds with our faith. Lord, I pray that you would bring us all back to your word. That we can study it sincerely in our hearts. That we can know your truths. 
not for our own edification, not for our own building up and vanity, but for, for your glory. Lord, to be able to be used by you. Father, your mission is so vital. There are so many people who are lost around you. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school, we look at our nation, Lord. Father, I pray that no matter what comes down with the decision with Roe versus Wade, that yes, we can have a moment to rejoice. But let us not sit back on our laurels. Let us not sit back on that type of a victory. But Lord, that we would continue to fight for you. Fight a culture and an enemy that is looking to destroy us. Father, help us not to be lulled into sleep, but to stay alert as watchmen. Father, we await your return. But until then, you have given us work to do. And I pray that you would empower us with all the tools that your spirit has to accomplish that mission because we want to see you glorified and magnified above all things in this world. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.